Ossert would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people listening today. We also want to acknowledge that these lands have always been places of learning and sharing of information, and that is the essence of this podcast. Welcome to the Ossert Podcast. Share today, save tomorrow. I'm your host, Anthony Caruana, and for this episode, I'm joined by Ben DeMarco, a lawyer specialising in cyber and technology risk at Willis Towers Watson. We often focus on technical and policy issues when we think about cybersecurity, but Ben brings some different perspectives to how we can look at risk. It was a great discussion, and as it turns out, Ben and I have another connection, as his father was my manager back in the late 90s and early 2000s. Then it's over to my co-host, Beck, who chats with Mark Carey-Smith about what's been going on at OzCert and how preparations are progressing for this year's conference. How are you doing, Ben? I'm very, very good. Pleasure to be here. You come to this, into cyber, from a quite different perspective because most people are quite technical and, you know, they kind of think about cyber in, you know, with that adversarial perspective, but you're coming at it from a very different view. Can you just explain a little bit about where you've come from? So my background is from the legal side. So I was a litigator, data privacy expert, technology disputes, worked here and overseas. My first touch of cyber was in the incident response space. So when organisations had big cyber events, what did they do? How do they manage the work streams? How do they deal with regulators, third parties? From there, I've kind of pivoted out and added a lot of expertise around the insurance product, that's cyber, but a lot of the other tech risks that we look at, as well as that we think about risk advisory, and we play a lot of that into play of the controls, the technology, the governance and the law. So heaps of stuff to keep you interested and busy. When we start talking about mitigation strategies, one of them is, of course, to get insurance and pay someone else to take the risk or to at least take some of the impact of the risk away from you. Can you just talk a little bit about cyber insurance? Because it's still it feels like it's still a very nascent field. There seem to be some cowboys out there offering insurance products that Maybe don't actually, like, they'll collect your money through a premium, but the, the option, the, the opportunity for a payout, this seems pretty small. And then at the other end, we've got people offering, you know, quite high insurance with great coverage, but they're asking businesses a lot of questions in order to be able to offer that coverage to them. So can you just talk a bit, maybe just give us a bit of a lie of the land of what's the cyber insurance world look like at the moment? I'm pleased you used the word nascent there. So one of the things that we talked about was thinking about cyber as other forms of insurance. Mm-hmm. And if you look at a lot of the insurance products, property, automotive, life, they've been around for hundreds of years. Cyber insurance really starts at its first baby steps in the mid-90s. The modern wordings we see don't come about until 2002 and 2003. So again, if we think about someone from a US perspective, cyber insurance is barely at drinking age. And a lot of that explains why it chops and it changes so much. I'm glad also that you used the word cowboys because there certainly have been elements of cowboys across the industry. I'm not so much convinced it's the carriers and the people that provide the insurance, but what happened for a long time was cyber insurance is what we call a soft market. Really easy to get, prices weren't that hard. If you go back four or five years ago, there were about 60 carriers that wanted to do it. And because of that, we didn't really need to understand the risk. We didn't need to understand the organization or the product. Anyone could really go out and get it. What's happened in the last three or four years is the market's become much harder. Insurers have just been burnt to death by ransomware huge number of claims, huge frequency, huge severity. And they've also started to realize that we've got to be very focused on what we think about for risk maturity. So historically, I could answer four or five questions, even if they're all no's, I could get an insurance policy. 
Now they're really focused on what are your controls? Have you got PAM? What's happening on EDR? What's happening on backup? What's happening in terms of how we understand segregation? And because of that, we find a lot of people express frustration. Many of those are people that probably didn't have the skills or the capacity to place the cyber insurance, but could get by when it was a soft market. We also do see some clients and organisations that have bad outcomes, but that's normally because they're not given good advice. As cyber insurance becomes more expensive, we need to be a lot more strategic about where does it work, what do we want it for, what are the limits, what are the key covers. So our message was about that type of journey and how organisations can be much more in control of those processes. So when we talk about organisations, you know, that's a pretty broad term. I mean, a sole trader is a business and a large conglomerate is a business with thousands and thousands of people. And obviously they've got quite different risk profiles and they're probably different targets as well. How does the insurance industry actually deal with that breadth? Like, are there, for example, cyber insurance products out there for a sole trader? Are there ones out there that specialise in SMB, SME kind of spaces? And are, are they very different to the ones that enterprises look at? That's a really good point. So I think the insurance market for cyber splits into three levels. One is what I'll call the micro SME, which is often a lot of the sole traders. Sometimes they want more of a personal insurance product or sometimes they want a professional insurance product. Interestingly, that's a market that from the insurance side is still relatively profitable. So there are a fair number of claims that happen there, but they're not normally high severity. We then get up into what I'll call that pure SME type of segments. That tends to be up until about maybe 20, 30, 40 million. For those types of organisations, they need a lot of help around incident response. So a lot of the covers are really bedded on giving them access to the right vendors, giving them the right support and helping them manage those work streams. They have a little bit of a business interruption exposure, but they also have a very strong ransomware exposure. So that's where a lot of the covers get geared. That as a market is still relatively competitive. We need to show minimum controls there now. So you have to have multi-factor authentication. You have to have some good processes around backups. And we see a lot more wanting to understand some of their supply chain partners because managed service providers, as I'm sure you're aware, cause a huge numbers of data breach in Australia. And we find particularly with that SME segment, it's over 50% of them happen because of a managed service provider, how they've configured or issues that arise in terms of lost credentials and things like that. The last one is what I'm going to call the large enterprise segment. If we're talking about Australian domicile, that's normally kind of 50 to the 250 mil. But some of the multinationals, we could get talking up to one, two, three billion in revenue. That's where the catastrophic losses have been. That's the one where carriers have to apply a lot of scrutiny because you see a lot of really big organisations. And even if they've been around for a long time and they have established IT infrastructure, they can be incredibly cyber mature. And those are the ones that have just burned insurers to death. The technology around cyber and the tools and methods used by threat actors, they shift with some frequency. So a good example might be something like that. If we talk about on the defensive side, is say something like multi-factor. So we've gone from passwords to two-factor with you know a key fob and a set of serial numbers or through an app with some numbers through to biometrics and other measures and now we're moving towards this passwordless future where people get you know for example if you use microsoft authenticator as i did this morning it says does the number that came through the app match the number that matters on the screen now and you say yes and that's your authentication so we've got this movement in the technology do the insurance products move and understand that? Are the carriers actually doing the right thing and saying, well, I know you don't have multi-factor, but you've got this other thing that's potentially better than multi-factor. Do they kind of understand the tech? Have they got that expertise now? 
they will always struggle to understand the tech, but I actually think they've gotten much better at that in the last 18 months. Part of that is forced upon them. They pay the claims, so they see the giant losses, they see what the control failures were, they see what the missing things were in the cybersecurity state, and that's what leads to a lot of the changes in questions. So backup for me is a fascinating one. Most of the carriers didn't really ask you about backup posturing culture, but now they will go all the way to, is it an immutable backup? Is it offline? Is it cloud? Okay, if it's cloud, what's the password controls around it? Have we done point-in-time restorations? Is it a third party? Who is the third party? And all of that is from their own learned experiences because they see the huge breaches globally and otherwise. The point you raise, which I think is really key here, is I think the sands have to keep shifting for the next four or five years because, as you said, the tech is changing. What the vendors say is best practice is changing. What industry says is best practice is changing. And insurers are very much caught in a lot of those wins. So they try to, but they're going to have to continue to juggle with all of this. So, And that's part of the challenge for them, isn't it? Because, you know, when I think back in my life, in car insurance changed quite substantially 30 or 40 years ago when they started to insure age groups quite differently. So males under 25 now pay a much higher premium than females under 25. And that was because new understanding was gained or you know, a new view of the data, I guess, was gained. So the, the insurers started to understand that the risk profiles varied quite substantially. Now to the point where I'm driving a car and my insurer says, well, as long as all the drivers are over 50, it's way cheaper than if you say they're under 40, for example. Is that part of that learning that now they're building up enough data to understand and build real actuarial tables, I guess, that the, or the equivalent for cyber? And that's a really good point you've made because what we're really going to is for insurers, they have to rate a risk. So they have to work out what are the factors that make you a good or a bad risk? What are the controls I can rely on? What are the things that give me confidence or give me concern? And a lot of that is built through the granularity of claims data where the losses are. And again, in the automotive industry case, we have over 100 years of that type of data. The cyber data is still coming in. And part of what we see at the moment is how do we understand the claims? How do we understand the loss? I think what's always made cyber really challenging, and this is across both the insurance but the wider risk management landscape, is we're in this pure environment where there is a risk actor that is deliberately trying to break everything we do. It's not a static environment. We have this control. We think it's brilliant. And then we find out actually they can get around it or they can circumvent it through this, that and the other. So all of those dynamic things change. But you're very much right. It's about understanding the risk, using the data, building the right tables, getting the right radar. And that has to be an iterative process here. And I guess that's one of the things is when we talk about cyber insurance, moving targets, not what we're doing necessarily, but it's what the adversaries are doing. Whereas if you're in, talking about car or house or some other you know, inverted commas, static insurance product. Unless we had a new risk of, we know that there is a group of people who are deliberately driving around smashing into cars. Because that's the equivalent of what we've got in the cyber world is that we've got people driving around trying to break stuff on, on purpose. That's the big difference, isn't it? And I like that point you made about kind of some of what moves in the timescales. So to take Ransom as an example, when I was in the US, the team I was with did a huge number of global data breaches. They had a lot of global data. And they could track back to 05, 06 when some of these started. And the Ramsons were for about 10K USD. That's nothing like what we talk about now. So everything can change. The loss can change. The attack methods can change. The frequency. And we've got the same issues now with double and triple extortion because they're a completely different pinch point and they're a completely different 
reputation and third-party exposure. Now, one of the things you mentioned earlier on when we were talking about the different segments, when you're talking about the micro, the middle, and then the, the large enterprises, you mentioned MSPs in the middle of that. So the US, Australian, Canadian, and UK governments have put out an advisory saying very specifically that MSPs are now a substantial target. Mm-hmm. And I guess the breach of an MSP isn't the breach of one company, is it? It's really now an attack on multiple companies. So there's two elements to that then. So the first element is insurance for MSPs, for managed service providers. And the second element is if that managed service provider has 100 customers and that 100 customers are insured with one insurer, for example, because maybe there's a there's a recommendation or suggesting you know, a commercial agreement between the MSP and the insurer, suddenly that's the one breach and lead to hundreds of claims. I mean, and the, the real catastrophe scenario is a major cloud provider getting severely hit and taking out tens of thousands of potentially insured customers. How do, how do we weigh that up in insurance world? Because a lot of people think that going to a managed service provider is the insurance because they own the risk now. It's, not my, it's now not my problem, except it is. So I'll start with the pure insurance for managed service providers and then we'll get to some of those other issues because they're all fascinating. Managed service providers are becoming a much tougher industry to place. I think they will get worse and worse in the next few years. There's three reasons for it. One is, as you've said, there's this strong relationship between a cyber breach on an end customer and their managed service provider. Often the service provider is holding the data or processing the data or they've set the security controls. So there can be acts of negligence, there can be direct causation there. And we see much more now where organisations have a catastrophic cyber breach. They look really closely at these service providers, whether they're security or otherwise. And there is much more of a flow around, can we do recovery actions there? They haven't succeeded too much today, but we expect there to be a fair few more of those in the next few years. The second thing, as you've said, is if we think about honeypots and if we think about things that can go through supply chains, it is the managed service providers. It's not the theory craft of, I'm going to embed something into an Intel chip and the whole world's going to end. It's literally, who are the providers that have really high credentials in my environment or that do something that I don't have visibility or control over? And that's what we thought with Acceleron, that's what we see with Kaseya, that's what we see with a whole host of different ones across our region. So from an actual risk vector, they are, I think, the most immediate supply chain concern and we're seeing much more effort of a whole host of malicious groups deliberately targeting them. The third one, as you've said, is there's a lot of complexity that goes in when one of these managed service providers has a major cyber event because they're holding data or they've got direct connections into 100 different clients. And so we create this really big concern around these could be the catastrophic events. And they're also often the most complex to deal with because we've got mixed privacy laws and other laws about is it the client who does it, is it the MSP? So very complex challenge to deal with. We've covered a lot of ground there because obviously this is a extremely complex area. And the, the one element of the complexity is that it's dealing with a complex problem. But the other element is that it's a complex problem that we don't know a lot about still. While cyber's got a 20-year history, other insurance products have 100 years histories. And in fact, if we talk about building and construction, we've been doing that for four or 5,000 years in terms of big buildings and construction. So we've got this very long history in other products and other services, but here we're, we're kind of still learning. For a person looking, or for an organization looking at cyber insurance, are there particular things that they need to think about when they're choosing products and choosing insurers? Yeah, so... I could give you a long list, but I'm going to focus on three. The first thing that I want to focus on is we've got to rethink what insurance is. For a long time, we saw insurance as this stopgap or this absolute failsafe. 
I think insurance works when you think about it as part of your overall cyber risk management strategy, and you can do it through the missed functions or however you want, but essentially what we're seeing is something that's going to help you with predominantly the recovery element and maybe some elements of the triage because we're giving you expert work streams and vendors to help with that. So we've got to think about that type of balanced investment. And when we go down that line as well, how are we going to use the vendors and the incident response that's embedded within cyber insurance? What are some of those key types of benefits? A lot of work we do with organisations right now is on that pure business interruption side. For a long time, we didn't really see much of a connection between a cyber event and catastrophic BI, but because of how long restoration timetables are, because of the fact that particularly ransomware, normally we've destroyed backups, we've locked out a lot of those recovery procedures. The shape and style of what we're going to need from the support and the recovery is different. So we've got to be quite strategic about that in terms of limits and in terms of key covers. So that overall understanding of cyber risk management, I think, is key. The second thing that you need to understand is that you're in a market that because it's hard, you need to do work to convince carriers to quote for you. So carriers can still get insurance. We've placed all of our clients in the last 18 months, but it takes a lot of effort and a lot of energy. And carriers will tell you that there's kind of probably 10 to 15% of their current books that are too immature that they don't want. And they apply that same type of cynicism to new business coming in. So we've got to make sure that you're not perceived to be in that type of weak area. We've got to address the key controls. We've got to explain what we're doing in terms of overall cyber risk management. The third one for me is when you think about insurance and how you want to use insurance, you're paying a fair bit of money for it. We've got to be maximising the investments of it. So if we've got an IR panel, we need to embed that into your incident response and business continuity plans. But we've got these types of issues around the financial loss, the indemnities. Let's make sure that we understand how to maximise your rights and entitlements under the policy. That's through the notification provisions. It's all through your brokers and your insurance partners properly explaining it to you. But I really think for a long time, organisations sat in the back seat. They didn't ask a lot of questions because this was cheap. Now it's not cheap. I think it's still incredibly valuable, but the organisation has to own the decision. They should be asking lots of difficult questions of the broker and of the insurer. They should be doing whatever they need to have confidence. And if you take that approach, you'll always get a much better outcome. So it's perhaps one of the big takeaways out of this is to understand that particularly, and I think this is probably something that is might be a more prevalent thought in the, the smaller end of the market with these and insult traders, for example, but that insurance is not everything. Like it's not your entire mitigation strategy. It's just just as you must have appropriate border protection and endpoint security and all the other bits and pieces that we've got to have and you know encryption everywhere and all that sort of stuff just as you've got to have all of those tools in place insurance is just one more arrow in that quiver isn't it it's not it's not your entire weapon arsenal or your, your entire arsenal of defense you agree completely and if we want to take a cybersecurity term it's just a part of a defense in-depth strategy hmm. it shouldn't be the sole point of failure but where you have complex risk which most organizations do what you get from insurance, the support, the recovery, the financial, there's nothing else you can do from a control state or from a risk investment state that can match that. And that's the bit that you've got to understand. That's been really, really interesting, Ben. I'm, like I, I find cyber insurance, maybe I'm boring, I'm not sure, but I find it really fascinating because it's this evolving thing. It's not like you're walking into something and it's been there for 100 years and it's like you just got to suck it up and see because it's what is there. It's something that it's being actively created now. Insurance is this live state for you to understand how a business that lives or dies off assessing risk maturity thinks about cybersecurity and thinks mm. about what it wants from other organisations. And when you start to look at that and you see, well, they're focused on this now, they're focused on that now, this risk control they're terrified about, 
it just gives you so much power and insight in terms of, well, this is the bits of cybersecurity that are changing. This is what's the most dynamic. We've been asking every guest through this season of the podcast to nominate or name their cybersecurity superhero, and it could be a mentor, a guide, a leader, or someone who's just been super influential in your career and helped you along the way. Is there anyone you wanted to nominate or name in that? Well, I'm going to actually go for three. So the first one I want to mention is a woman called Christine Turp. She was a boss of mine when I was in San Francisco, and she really started me on this cyber insurance journey. One of the smartest people I've ever met, absolute fountain of knowledge for all things cybersecurity and cyber insurance, and still the best mentor that I think I've had across my career. The second person I want to call out is Richard Buckland from the UNSW. Absolute gentleman, someone who's just wonderful to chat with and wonderful to always be learning from. And the third one that I actually want to call out is someone in my team who's coming along. His name is Anthony Kumar. And what I love is when you see the juniors in this space, how passionate they are, how excited they are. And that also, I think, fuels the fire for you. So three different people and three different perspectives. That's fabulous. Thank you so much for your time today. And now it's over to Beck and Mark. Thank you, Anthony. And, and thank you, Ben. We're really grateful to have Ben as a friend of AusCert. We've got some really loyal supporters of AusCert that help us succeed and share their wisdom with us. And we're very lucky to have that. So really appreciate him sharing his time. Today, I'm joined by the lovely Mark Carey-Smith. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome, Beck. Thanks for the introduction. Yes, I love to sit down with, with Mark, another person that I love to share and learn from. So interested to hear your insights after, you know, that interview with Ben and what he deals with in cyber risk and insurance. It's very different to what we're dealing with quite often in our day-to-day at OSERP, so we can always learn from him. So interested to hear your insights there too. Yeah, thanks. So it's a bit of a cliche, but, but when Ben talks, I listen. He always has something really interesting to say and he's so articulate as well and I personally I find cyber insurance really fascinating because it's essentially about risk insurance Mm -hmm. is all about risk and because cyber security is a relatively new field compared to insurance of lots of other types of risk it's interesting to me how insurance companies can price what they offer to clients how they figure out what is a good risk or a bad risk for them And then how do they figure out when they're giving clients advice or if they're assessing what their risk is, what does good practice look like or what does best practice look like? How do they determine whether a client is doing the right things in inverted commas? And to me, the the data must be fascinating that insurance companies are collecting. Yeah. And what assumptions are you making from that data as well? Yeah, exactly. What are they deriving? What are they learning from the data that they're gathering? Because they don't have 100 years of actuarial data to lean on in the case of, say, I don't know, insuring a building, for example. Yeah. We, there's a lot of risks that we understand reasonably well in that kind of space, but cybersex so new, I'd be, I'd just love to get my hands on the stuff that they know. Yeah, that would be a really fascinating world, wouldn't it? It certainly would be. Great. Well, I, I still am laughing about the timing of this because, you know, we've had this podcast scheduled for so long, but as it turns out, this afternoon, we'll be going in to see our lovely friend Ben DeMarco and we're co-hosting an event with Willis Towers, Willis Towers Watson. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You're our famed moderator for this afternoon. Yes, that's right. So we're having a, a discussion. So it's a, it's a two-parter, essentially. The first part is a little bit of a presentation looking at some of the notable events that have occurred in recent times, particularly notable incidents. A bit of a discussion around the state, the current state of cybersecurity insurance, 
And then a bit of a look at third-party risk assessment tools. So these are the tools that tools or services that we sometimes get marketed to us as these are ways to understand your third-party risk. So say you're looking to partner with an organization or a business, or you're looking to engage a managed service provider, then theoretically these third-party risk assessment services enable you to score what risk this organization represents to you. And having been on the other side of the fence, so having received information from some of these companies in, in places I've worked in the past where they say, your risk score is 75. And so, you know, a lot of cybersecurity people are curious. That's one of the things, curiosity is an important How did you part. come up with this 75? <laughs> exactly. What's your justification for this? What do you mean 75? Is 75 good or is 75 bad? When they say that they're getting a feel for your internet exposure for example Mm. what do you mean how do you score that how do you take into account for a university that has a large population of bring your own device users how do you compare that with an organization that doesn't so things like that i find really interesting the assumptions that they're basing these Mm. wonderful scores on we all want easy to easy to understand metrics but easy to understand doesn't always equal valid so we're going to be having a chat about that And then we want to leave a good at least half an hour, maybe 45 minutes worth of time just for a bit of a panel discussion. And we're really lucky that we've got the quality of panelists that we have. And that that I think I think that'll be the most interesting part of the the event, just having questions from participants and audience members and just allowing them to pick the brains of our wonderful panel. I'm really excited because this was all born out of a conversation in the OSCERT member Slack, essentially, where you know some of our members were receiving scores and going, yeah, what does this mean? And comparing with each other, which I don't think insurers were expecting, right? Exactly. And then <laughs> Go what for is, what cyber collaboration. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that, I mean, that highlights the importance of just chatting with other people in the same industry or having this. This is one of the wonderful things about our OSCERT membership base is people willing to share information with one another and exchange you know, thoughts about what's going on. I've seen this. What do you think? And that's the member Slack is a, is an important way yeah, to facilitate so it, that. It's great that we were able to go, actually, we know some experts in this. We can all learn what this actually means and where this comes from. So it's great to get some answers to that. And look, it's, it's really nice to be back face-to-face doing a Brisbane event. We haven't done a lot in Brisbane for a little while, so it's really nice to start there. But we, we are hoping that, you know, we know it's a popular topic. We've got some great registrations for this afternoon. So... I'm hoping that we can work to bring this to other capital cities for other members to attend as well. Yeah, that's right. One of the great things that we were able to do last year was actually get out, as you say, see people face-to-face and have some chats with members, and we we want to continue doing that in 2023. Yeah. We've got lots of plans, lots of chatting. (laughs) Always plenty of plans. Yeah, so I guess on the the other OzCert front, once we get this one, this event out the way, there is a lot of training happening, so... Just wanted to remind people about those training sessions. We've got our our standard courses that, you know, Mark, you're one of our trainers that deliver those. So they're advertised on the education page at the website at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I like the fact you couldn't think of an adjective before trainers then. (laughs) What do you do again? (laughs) You're one of our trainers. 
Sometimes I see you in a room talking to a screen. I figure that's what you're doing. And of course, it's peak conference time for, well, particularly me. Most of the OSERT team get roped in in some part. So really exciting. I thought we might share a little bit of insight about this week where we had the program committee meet. And it's it's actually one of my favorite days of the year. And, and just, I don't think a lot of people understand the time, the effort, the, the way that we approach the program. It isn't just like, a, oh, well, some people submitted lock of in there's a lot of well submission is reviewed by four separate people on our committee and the committees you know not just OSERT people but people from industry from all walks of life so yeah what is your uh, what is your take on that you're on our program committee yeah so this is my second time on the committee and having been a presenter at, at, at OSERT for a few years before before I became a staff member it's really interesting to see the other side of the fence um and yeah, it's really nice to see, well, for one, all the enthusiasm of the people that submit a presentation to say that they'd like to do a presentation or run a shoot. That's awesome. Thanks very much to everyone who's been a part of that. We really Absolutely. appreciate it. Absolutely. We get so many submissions and it's really, but that's really hearty to know that people want to be part of our event. Yeah, it is. It's good. And it's, it's also interesting to see what do people want to talk about? What do people find interesting? And that exchange of ideas when we actually sit down as a committee and review, some of them are no-brainers because, you know, people that we have seen at, present before, either at Osset or other places. So that's easy. The, the difficult part is when we're looking at the, the we've only got two more slots here. What, <laughs> who and the can pressure gets on. <laughs> Yeah. And but the debate good. starts about what you want to see and who, yeah. what, what is interesting. and Yeah. yeah, It's good. But the, the, the thing is, you know, that could be a contentious thing, but it's not. It's not because of the culture that we value and create is one of collaboration and respect of other people's opinions. So it's just a really interesting chat, really. Yeah, it is. I mean, look, I was quite peopled out by the end of it. I have to tell you, it's a long session <laughs> that we do together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I... I do just really enjoy hearing different people's insights and hmm. and and even just seeing what has rated high and, and the different topics and and as you read these different titles and you go well, that sounds really interesting that's you know because you know you don't get to review every submission so some of those submissions you're seeing for the first time as we're reviewing them together so yeah yeah exactly and you know at, at the end of the day we just want to put on a really good conference and all of us have been to conferences before and seen presentations that we loved and presentations that we didn't love quite so much. And we just want to do the best we can for, for audience members, really. So it's nice to, it's nice. Well, hopefully that gives you, the listener, some assurance that we, we put a lot of effort into this and we try and make it as good as possible. We don't just accept whoever rolls up and we don't outsource the selection to someone else. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so timing-wise, it is crazy here at the moment. We have decided who will be on that program and all those notifications will be going out to speakers really shortly. Also loading that all those details up to the website so you'll be able to get your hands on those and get registering in the next week or so. So definitely keep an eye on the Osset socials for updates on that because, yeah, it's it's all starting to happen. We're on the roller coaster. It's yeah, here. that's right. So we've already selected the toots. We just selected the presentations. Now we just need to let people know this is what the program looks like. And of course, that also means member tokens are on their way out. So if you're an OSCERT member, please make sure that you look at that email, get your free registration, make sure you make the most of them. I think that's enough from us. Thank you for joining me. You're totally welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, the OSCERT podcast. Thanks to Ben and to Beck and Mark. 
We'll be back next month with another episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow with a new guest and a look into the Australian cybersecurity scene. If you want to know more about AusCert, be sure to visit ausCert.org.au.